I proposed to Kate on a trip in New York City about uh, six years ago. Walk around Central Park. It was something that we had been talking about for a while and uh, knew it was a special place for her. I, 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 we were kind of on the same page, uh, so it wasn't really a matter of whether, maybe whether she would say yes or not. But what I stressed about was how to make the opener. But I thought with the, the theme today that I might share the first one. You, baby, are the yin to my yang. You're the lace. Jelly, you're the cheese to my macaroni. You're the leftover sandwich to my Thanksgiving dinner. You're the Simon to my Garfunkel and the Snoop to my dog. I, I scratched that one. It, it, it never really seemed to come out right. It sort of wasn't true. So I went with something a little more organic, like I would like to be with you and I'd like to be with you a little bit longer, a lot longer. I hope I didn't say a little bit longer. You see something which attracted me to Kate is that she was perfectly fine by herself. She has this great energy about herself, a natural glow, which uh, joy which glows in the evening and is warm in the fall. I didn't swoop her up on a horse or pull her from a burning building. She didn't need to be saved. She was pretty great already. And I didn't feel like I needed to be saved either. It's not how the songs go, I realized that. And it's not how I imagined the perfect relationship would look like back in high school. My adolescent romantic had this image, uh, much like popular culture, which uh, relationships which required a counterbalance. Person one would lack something critical about themselves that person two would fulfill. It was simple, really. You just needed to find the right person, and then you could find contentment. They would sort of unlock something in you, and then, and only then, you could be whole and happy. Looking back, I think I gained this perspective of a dependent relationship even younger, where I saw the strong roles both of my parents filled in, in my home. I believe my observation was that my dad wouldn't last a week without being able to cook a homemade lasagna. And my mother was obviously hopeless without being able to lay down a good feed of coffee. I never saw them operate successfully outside of their roles. And I think that I started to believe along with popular culture that they were only functioning humans together along with their second half. I think I misinterpreted those roles with dependency. And really the holes that I was trying to fill in that moment of my life was nothing more that someone else could plug. It was work that I needed to do. And since my younger days I have, with help, spent intentional time improving my relationship with myself. And normally I do love myself. I also had to spend time before being okay with loving myself. When I was able to finally love myself and to be okay with loving myself, I approached relationships in a lot of different way. My job, my possessions, those relationships with family and friends, I was okay in nearly any situation. And I recognized that I am always complete. I didn't have to go and, and gain love. I already had it. It was just behind this curtain of inhibition. I recognized I embodied love and I could see the love in others, seeing others as they truly were, 
whole curious creatures filled with love. So I, I wonder in, in writing this and what that perfect relationship is, that if we're already whole, happy creatures already filled with love, is the perfect relationship then one in which you approach as though you have nothing to lose? I don't know, maybe. If you have nothing to lose, then you can be yourself without fear, without fear that you'll be broken if they leave. And you won't have fear that they'll see the hole in you. I don't know if that's the right or whole approach. I'm interested to hear others' thoughts on that. I think you need some level of opening and vulnerability to create a strong bond together. And in that openness, you can grow together and, and build strength in a relationship. And we know that if that bond tears and hurts, but those wounds will heal. And hardy relationships, I suspect, probably have a few scars. But in this somewhere together, we, we need to always know that we can, while being better together, we can always be better together, but always whole, curious creatures filled with love. Come, let us listen. It was missing a piece and it was not happy. So it set off in search of its missing piece. And as it rolled, it sang this song. Oh, I'm looking for my missing piece. I'm looking for my missing piece. Heidi ho, here I go, looking for my missing piece. Oh, you look kind of like Pac-Man, yeah. Sometimes it baked in the sun, but then the cool rain would come down. And sometimes it was frozen by the snow, but then the sun would come and warm it again. And because it was missing a piece, it could not roll very fast. So it would stop to talk to a worm or smell a flower. And sometimes, it would pass a beetle. Hello. And sometimes the beetle would pass it. Hey. And this was the best time of all. There's a little butterfly on his head. And on it went over oceans. Oh, I'm looking for my missing piece over land and overseas. So grease my knees and fleece my bees. I don't know what that means. I'm looking for my missing piece. Through swamps and jungles, up mountains, and back down mountains. Until one day, lo and behold, I found my missing piece, it's saying. I found my missing piece. So grease my knees and fleece my bees. I found my... Wait a minute said the piece, before you go greasing your knees and fleecing your bees, I am not your missing piece. I am nobody's piece and I am my own piece. And even if I was somebody's missing piece, I don't think I'd be yours. Oh, uh, it said, sadly, I'm sorry to have bothered you. Rolled on. It found another piece. 
but this one was too small and this one was too big and this one was a little too sharp oh right off the bat and this one was a little too square one time it seemed to have found the perfect piece but it didn't hold it tightly enough and lost it tumbling tumbling Another time it held it on too tight. It broke it. Oh no. So on and on it rolled, having adventures. This is good. It found an arrow. That wasn't it. Falling into holes and bumping into stone walls. And then one day it came upon another piece that seemed to be just right. Hi, it said. Hi, said the piece. Are you anybody else's missing piece? Not that I'm aware of. Well, maybe you want to be your own piece. I could be someone's and still be my own. Well, maybe you, uh, maybe you don't want to be mine. Maybe I do. Maybe we won't fit. Well, hmm, um, it fit. It fit perfectly. At, at least, or at last, at last. And away it rolled. And because it was now complete, it rolled faster and faster, faster than it had ever rolled before. So fast, so fast that it could not stop to talk to a worm. So fast that it could not stop to smell a flower or to taste or too fast for a butterfly to land, but it could sing its happy song. At last it could sing, I found my missing piece. And it began to sing, I'm from, I'm from my nizzin geese, from miss, missing breeze, so please name missing breeze, and uh, a frown. Oh my, now that it was complete, it could not sing at all. Ah, uh, I thought, so that's how it is. So it stopped rolling and it set the piece down gently and slowly rolled away. And as it rolled, it softly sang, Oh, I'm looking for my missing piece. I'm looking for my missing piece. Heidi ho, here I go looking for my missing piece. Sometimes our journeys <laughs> will find little moments of that story as reflective or more resonant than others. But all of us here, I think there was a band once, little rolling stones, here in this community, looking for fullness, looking for understanding, looking for meaning, looking for teammates, whether on the basketball court or in life, platonic or romantic. This is a place where we can look for our missing piece and perhaps find it in places we didn't even know it could exist. Maybe so. Amen. I've always been more enchanted 
by the idea of chosen family. The thought that we are each making a choice to be here in this family, in this community, is powerful. We have actively chosen to come and be here. I'm not stuck with you because you're my cousin and I'm not allowed to be rude. I could leave if I wanted to, but I don't want to because of the way that we have each nurtured this community. I choose to be stuck with you for better or for worse. We make the choice to stay stuck together, even when we don't even want to be in the same room. But we always come back to the table because we choose to be together. Through thick and thin, we have cho chosen love. And in hard times, struggling times, times that we face every day, we come together even closer. We make the choice to listen to each other. We make the choice to pick each other up. And we make the choice to love each other. We have built this community with our commitment to that love. We all have many different reasons for being here, but I like to think that we have one common reason for being here, love. Over everything else, we are here because we are the people who choose love. We do not have a bloodline, but we have a deep unconditional love that runs through us all. We choose that love. We choose each other. Our hearts echo, I choose you. I am here. I am here. I am here. For this one moment, know only that you are loved, that you are safe and whole and loved. Know that you belong here, here among us, here upon this earth, in your body. However tired or broken your heart may be, whatever fear, disappointment, anger you carry, for this hour, know you are not alone. Feel the presence of others surrounding you, breathing beside you and with you, discovering together the way our voices rise and fall together in harmony, in hope. Claim here a resilient freedom, the choice for love, for light, to live with joy and gratitude and praise as a form of resistance. Yesterday, I officiated a wedding at the Indiana State House in Indianapolis. Standing in the large atrium awaiting the wedding party procession, I couldn't help but think of the irony of the sermon I was to offer this morning. At weddings, whether the couple is lovey-dovey or not so into PDA, whether they are lifelong sweethearts or whether they have fallen in love later in life, there is a sort of common, common uh, thread, a refrain, that emerges in every wedding in a way. And it goes something like this, blank and blank bring out the best in each other. Blank and blank 
are perfect for each other or blank and blank were destined to be together forever. Now, regardless if you are a believer in the idea of soulmates, a question and tension exists in every relationship, whether it be a romantic relationship or a familial relationship or a platonic friendship or a work relationship. And that question is, does this, uh, oh, sorry, does this other person complete me? Nothing against that. Does this other person complete me? Of course, we don't actually ask ourselves this question. Does this other person complete me? That would be a little weird, but I do think in all cases, our relationships are measured in part by understanding the balance, understanding the balance or imbalance of the dependence and independence found within it. Said differently, our relationships, each of our relationships fluctuate constantly between a need for independence and a, des and a desire for dependence. These two concepts of independence or in the language of family systems theory, differentiation and dependence can often uh, compete and conflict, stress and strain a relationship and they can confuse what the very essence or purpose of relationships are in the first place. Let me explain by taking us all on a little trip. Sandra's in Monaco or something like that. So we're gonna go on a trip to ancient Greece. Face masks required. Now, how many of you, now we're in Greece, ancient Greece, how many of you are familiar with Plato? It's like this dough-like substance and children, no, some, I mean, Plato with a T. Thank you, Liz. Regardless, the, regardless, the protagonist, although often seen as an antagonist in Plato's writings, is a man named Socrates. Heard of that? And Socrates is known to engage in dialogues with others, often using his Socratic method, asking lots of questions that lead the other to contradict themselves and conclude the opposite of what they initially were arguing. Anyway, so one of these dialogues is known as the symposium. Okay, while symposium has modern usage similar to an academic conference or a lecture series, the actual etymology of symposium is a drinking party. Literally, a party where people come together to drink wine, to get drunk, and debate philosophical topics of the day. At the symposium in question, the topic of love emerges. That's capital L, according to Plato. One who was in attendance was the comedic playwright, Aristophanes. Oh boy, com comedian. And often as is true today, the comic can speak much truth to the most tender and complex topics of our lives, okay? Let's set the stage. He told then a creation story that I will briefly summarize. Back in the day, way before ancient Greece was ancient or modern, humans 
had four arms and four legs and one head with two faces, one on the front and one on the back. The humans believed they were strong because of this. Pride led them to rise up and attack the gods. In anger, Zeus knocked them down a few rungs by casting a thunderbolt uh, with that split each human down the middle, where each now had only two arms and only two legs and only one face. As the story goes, this act by Zeus led humans to just kind of wander, meander, meander around Earth in search of their other halves. Interestingly, and somewhat grimly, the story shares that often when one might end up finding their other half, they latch onto them so much, they hug them so tight that they even forget to eat or sleep and end up dying in each other's arms. Oof, rough life. One line from the symposium sort of sums it up for the purposes of this sermon, which is Aristophanes' Aristophanes's definition of love. He says, quote, love is the name for our pursuit of wholeness, for our desire to be complete. Love is the name for our pursuit of wholeness, for our desire to be complete. Well, and here's the rub. By what means and to what extremes will we pursue wholeness and completeness? Till death do us part? Dependency and independency has been somewhat co-opted and taken on imagination by psychology and psychologists and therapists. But that tension is really a deeper more ancient philosophical and spiritual question of where do I begin and where do I end? Where, oh, sorry, where do we as individuals begin and where do we as individuals end as a congregation? I hope what I'm saying is making sense. Where do I begin and where do I end? Where does my relationship with Hattie begin and end? That tug of war is with us in our pursuit of loving relationships as children with parents, as children with our parents, as children with friends at school. It is with us through the awkwardness of puberty and the early explorations of love. And it is with us throughout our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our careers, in our congregations. It is with us on this journey of exploring wholeness, whatever that means, or perhaps a sense of a lack of it, searching for completeness and perhaps what it feels like to be without it, to be incomplete. A couple months ago at our quarterly worship retreat, we meet quarterly for a Saturday, when we were talking about relationships and what services we might create in October, Kevin, explored something out loud, something with something that ended with the statement, you do not complete me. 
everyone really resonated with it. There was a lot of energy in the room. And, and I felt a little bit like I didn't understand like why it was so resonant. And then I realized that I hadn't seen Jerry Maguire and everyone was talking about the iconic line at the end of Tom Cruise's impassioned monologue in which he tells Renee Zellweger's character, you complete me. We decided not to reenact uh, the scene this morning, but the through line persists. Now for some, it is a very sweet and vulnerable expression of masculinity. Many a person has swooned by this act of love. And on the other hand, it sort of borders on that slightly over the top dependency that can kind of get you into trouble. Am I wrong? Okay, of course, it often takes two to tango or tangle. I think they both work in this case. The response from Renee Zellweger, if you remember, can be seen as sweet and romantic on the one hand, but also equally problematic on the other. Remember this line? I looked it up on YouTube, doing my research. And really interestingly, just before we give the line, this climactic scene in the movie Jerry Maguire is set in a literal symposium. Go watch it. A group of women, this time a real F you to the, the patriarchy, hanging out in a room, drinking alcohol, talking about men. And Renee Zellweger's character says, just before Tom Cruise enters the room, well, maybe you're right. Maybe men are the enemy, but I still love the enemy. After Tom Cruise says, comes in and does his sort of thing, uh, Renee Zellweger cuts him off, you know this? Cuts him off and says another iconic line, shut up, shut up, just shut up. You had me at hello. You had me at hello. Now, I'm not trying to bash this relationship or this movie, but saying you had me at hello feels as characteristic of codependency uh, behavior as someone saying, you complete me. And perhaps when the movie credits roll, Jerry and Dorothy's relationship begins a new chapter of health and good communication and work-life balance, at the center, who knows? But it does beg the question, how can we nurture, how can we nurture healthy relationships, romantic or otherwise, that lead to both a positive self-identity and a meaningful collective identity, whether that is with one person or with many? You know, at the conclusion of the wedding ceremony yesterday, I thought about how lovely and happy the couple looked and how much hope and joy their family and friends wished them as they begin this new, uh, this new chapter. It was delayed. The wedding was supposed to be last October, and it was a, a much eager completion of that, of that ritual. But one thing really stuck with me which was a line that they wrote and put in their vows. It went by quick that some may have not even noticed its importance. The vow was, I embrace 
our togetherness and respect your separateness. I embrace our togetherness and I respect your separateness, that they each made that vow to one another. That promise, that aspiration to embrace the times they are together and respect the inherent separate, separateness of their lives now as a married couple is a gift that gives me hope for them and that life may persist, that we will not perish before it is time, that we will serve one another and eat as well, feed ourselves as well. We will nurture and be nurtured, and this is true for us here in this congregation as well. And to address the proverbial elephant in the sermon title, you do not complete me. And that is a good thing. It is a good thing that this congregation, that you do not complete me professionally or personally. It is good that you are not my missing piece. That my life requires more diverse relationships and activities with others and alone. And I hope the same is true that I do not complete you and that your friendships here do not complete you because there is more to you than, uh, there, there is more to you than can be achieved in any one relationship with a person or a congregation, even one as beautiful and meaningful as UUCCI. And yet, I do believe ours is a journey of love. Ours is a journey toward wholeness, a journey towards fullness and healing. Ours remains a journey of love, separate and together, till death do us part. Emma Merchant says, we have built this community with our commitment to love. I pray and hope that that journey is long and fruitful, that, it, that in times of difficulty, we rebalance our hearts and our relationships in this love. It be so.